Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Beloved family, I'm so happy to be with you. I'm thrilled. We've missed a few days now because of all kinds of things, including uh, crazy internet matters. And it looks like we finally um, came up with a system that's going to work for us way out here in the country because we have such beautiful souls helping us, Brian and John and everybody at the Station of the Cross. It's so wonderful. So I missed you yesterday. I hope you had a blessed All Saints Day. And today is All Souls Day. And um, it's just very, very special. Um, And there's a wonderful website I want to make you all aware of. It's catholicharboroffaithandmorals.com. Catholic Harbor, all together. Catholic Harbor, H-A-R-B-O-R, affaithandmorals.com. I've never come across a site as fantastic as this. It has all the true Catholic teachings, um, and, um, and they're all trustworthy, they're mostly from the early 1900s or 1800s. And I not only go to this site a lot, but I uh, have printed things often from this site, and I've wanted to give them credit, but no matter what I've done, I cannot find out who owns it uh, or get permission from them. I think they just want to spread the faith, the true faith. The faith wants delivered to the saints, to the whole world. And so um, the only way I credit them is by giving their email address out, catholicharboroffaithandmorals.com. And today, <clears throat> here's um, a wonderful uh, reading from For All Souls Day uh, by Leonard Goffin, 1891. I don't know who Leonard Goffin is. I hope he's not a priest because they should have said father. I don't know that. But he begins by saying, what is All Souls Day? And he answers, it is the day set apart by the Catholic Church for the special devout commemoration of those of its members who have departed this life in the grace and friendship of God, for whom we pray that they may soon be released by God from the prison of purgatory. And he goes on to say, what is purgatory? Purgatory is that place in which the souls of the deceased faithful, who though dying in the grace of God, are yet burdened with some small sins not yet atoned for. They suffer temporal punishment and become purified from all sin. Now, I know that could raise a thousand questions. And someone could ask, especially if you're not Catholic, didn't Jesus die for all? and for all sins and the answer is absolutely yes he died once for all for everyone for every sin and he died for the sin that separated us from god however we commit temporal sins um i've given this the uh, illustration before of little johnny whose mother um told him not to play in mrs smith's backyard next to their home <clears throat> but this day little johnny seven years old has a friend and he goes 
because Mrs. Smith's backyard is larger than his and he wants to play baseball with his friend. He goes over to Mrs. Smith's yard and the baseball goes through Mrs. Smith's window and you've raised little Johnny correctly. So he goes and knocks on Mrs. Smith's door and he says, Mrs. Smith, I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't have been playing in your yard and I went, the ball went through your window. We didn't mean it, but we broke it and we're so sorry. And Mrs. Smith is very impressed with your little son. And she says, oh, God bless you, Johnny. Thank you for telling me. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. So your little son comes home and he says, Mom, Dad, I the ball went through her window, but I told her I was sorry. And she said, it's okay. She'll forgive me. Okay. And as the parent, you say to your son, good, Johnny, I'm glad you went and confessed that and apologized to Mrs. Smith, but it's not okay. You cannot leave that. You need to understand the consequences of your sin. And so, even though Mrs. Smith said, don't worry about it, little Johnny needs to mow the lawn or clean the garage or do something to earn enough money, even on the neighbor's lawns, whatever it is, um, to earn the money to pay back Mrs. Smith for the window. Now, he probably could never pay the whole thing, but he's done what he can do. And, um, and that's what penance is. So when we go to confession, uh, the priest... It's, it's our Lord who forgives sins, not man. But he chose his priesthood through whom to bring his grace and forgiveness to us. So when the priest says, I absolve you, <clears throat> it is Jesus saying, I absolve you through that priest. And we're forgiven. And then the priest gives us penance. Does he give us penance in order for us to be forgiven? No. He gives us penance because we are forgiven. And now we need to earn the money to pay back or whatever it is, make repair the damage that our sin has done on a horizontal level to man. We can't say, well, God's forgiven me. That's the end of it. No, it's like Zacchaeus. I will pay back um, uh, fourfold what I've taken from people because he's truly sorry. And we have to make good, not just eternally. That's a sacrifice we cannot pay that Jesus paid on the cross. But temporally, we need to make good for the damage we've caused. And if we don't do that, if Johnny um, goes off with his friends and does not mow the lawn, does not pay Mrs. Smith back the damage for the window he's done, and he dies, whether he's 100 years old or 12 years old, then he, uh, if he dies in the grace of God, he will go to heaven, but not immediately. He needs to go to purgatory Purgatory, people say, where is the word purgatory in Scripture? It's right next to the word incarnation and trinity. In other words, there's no such word in Scripture as trinity or incarnation, but we believe them because the Scriptures teach that. Same thing with purgatory. It's a purging of, uh, and if you read the book of Second Maccabees, which was taken out of the um, Old Testament by Martin Luther, you will see they're praying for the dead who are in purgatory. So they're being purged. They're on their way to heaven. But they're being purged of the temporal effects of the sin that they did not accomplish on earth. And it's, it's purgatory, beloved, is a helpless place. We cannot atone for our sins in purgatory only on earth by paying Mrs. Smith back the window, for the window. We can't do what Jesus did on the cross. That's once and for all. But we must pay restitution. We must repair 
make reparation, reparation for the sins we commit against one another on earth. Um, and if we don't, God has given us that gift to do it in purgatory. St. Paul writes, I'm uh, confident of this, and to the Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ, and he will. And he does it through purgatory, through uh, that temporary state where we are cleansed, purged from self-love, which is the root of all sin, until we're ready to go to heaven. And how are we purged from the root of all sin? By the sacrifices of the saints on earth, of the communion of saints. We need to suffer for the souls in purgatory. We need to make sacrifices for them because they have no power in purgatory to do anything, which is why we pray for the souls in purgatory to be released into heaven once um, their temporal, the f- temporal effects, once Mrs. Smith, uh, her window has been paid for. Um, <clears throat> and um, and the, the author of this article, uh, Mr. Gofine, says, Purgatory is that place in which the souls of the deceased faithful, who though dying in the grace of God, are yet burdened with some small sins, not yet atoned for. Again, not the sins that separate us from God, but the sins that we commit against one another. We are yet burdened with some small sins not yet atoned for. We suffer temporal punishment and become purified from all sin. It is called the place of purification or purgatory because in it those souls which are not perfectly unsullied are purified by fire as gold in the furnace. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and the fire shall try, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, the fire shall try, as the fire purgatory, beloved, shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so we don't go straight from earth to heaven. Um, We have to pass through purgatory where we pass the first judgment. And all of our works, all of them, are put in the fire. And the ones like gold and silver um, and precious stone, they don't burn up because they were done for eternal means. They were eternal works done for God. And they will remain. They will not be hurt by the fire. But the works that meant nothing for heaven, uh, that are called wood, hay, and stubble, they will burn up. The soul will still be saved if they die in a state of grace, but as through fire. And beloved, there's no fire in heaven. There's no judgment in heaven. And that doesn't happen on earth. And so there's some place between earth and heaven where all that occurs. And we call it purgatory where souls are purged. Um, There's the music, beloved, for our first break. We'll be right back after the break, and we'll continue with this, and then we'll take your calls after the second break. Calls, emails, with anything that's on your heart, and the toll-free number, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one god. An atheist doesn't believe in any god. They're mutually exclusive terms. To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women. Second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so happy, can you tell that? To be with you live, we've had so many days of encores, and it looked like, looks like we have figured out a system. Not me, but some good men, Brian and, and John, together with James and Mike and the team at Station of the Cross. So we are thrilled. And we're talking about uh, the, the uh, feast today of all souls, um, and that is praying for the souls in purgatory, which are those... Um, souls who have died in a state of grace they're on their way to heaven but they have some temporal um, sins to yet atone for that has not to do with our lord's atonement for the entire world once for all on the cross of the sin that separates us from god but it does have to do with the sin that separates us from our brothers from our parents from our friends from strangers. That's temporal punishment. We sin, every sin, as St. Saint, um, Saint David, David in, in Psalm 51 says, against thee the only have I sinned, Lord, and done what's evil in, in thy sight. And yet every sin David committed was also a sin against man. Man, woman, Bathsheba, uh, the kings, he's also, and he has to make that right. Um <clears throat> And then 
this author has a question, are the heretics right in denying that there is such a place of purification as purgatory? They deny it. And of course, um, I say of course, I was an evangelical Protestant for 18 years and knew nothing of purgatory. And unfortunately, as I was looking into the church, I met with a beautiful Catholic couple who told me the church doesn't teach that anymore. What a shame. Dear ones, we need to know what the church teaches. And I want to urge all of you all over the world to get the Catechism explained. It's the Catechism of Trent. And truly, you don't need to be a theologian. It has, it has the answers. It's, it's the Baltimore Catechism with a teacher. It's just terrific. And one day, God willing, uh, I'll begin to teach that um, so that we can all join in in some way. <clears throat> so the question is, are the heretics right in denying uh, that there's such a place of purification as purgatory? And he says, by no means. For by such denial, they oppose the Holy Scriptures, tradition, and reason. The Holy Scriptures teach that there is a purgatory. It is related in the second book of the Maccabees that Judas Maccabeus sent 12,000 drac um, drachmas of silver to Jerusalem to be used in the temple <clears throat> to obtain prayers for those who fell in battle, for he believed it, a good and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins. But for what dead shall we pray? Those in heaven do not require our prayers. Uh, to those in hell, they are of no avail. We must then pray for those who are in the place of purification. Christ speaks of a prison in the future life from which no man comes out until he has paid the last farthing. Matthew chapter 5. This prison cannot be hell because from hell there is never any release. It must be then a place of purification. Again, Christ speaks of sin, which shall be forgiven neither in this world or in the next. From which it follows, that's Matthew chapter 12, from which it follows, there is remittance of some sins in the next world, but this can be neither in heaven nor in hell, consequently in purgatory. Um, if you go through the scriptures, beloved, uh, you will see so many places where it speaks of purification um, of our state in life that does not fit heaven and cannot fit hell. And it, it proves there's some place between the death of a Christian. When Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians, he's writing to Christians. And in chapter 3, he writes of what's called the Bema Seat of Rewards and says that all our works, no matter what, will be put through the fire and that we that the fire will determine what sort they are they'll either perish because they were wood hay stubble or they will come out of the fire lasting because they are gold precious stones as the consistory of trent says the church has always taught according to the old tradition of the fathers in all her councils that there is a purgatory and all centuries show proofs of the continual belief of all true Christians in a purgatory. Finally, man's unblinded reason must accept a purgatory, 
For how many depart this earth before having accomplished the great work of their own purification? They cannot enter heaven. St. John tells us there there shall not enter into it anything defiled. The simple separation of the soul from the body does not make the sinful soul pure. And yet God cannot reject them as the hardened sinners in hell. There must then be a middle place, a purgatory, where those who have departed, not free from stain, must be purified. The Apostle Paul, I think, in the book of Hebrews says, nothing unholy will enter heaven. And he's talking to Christians, beloved. See how the doctrine of the church, reason, and the Holy Scriptures all agree. And do not let yourself be led away by false arguments from those who not who not only believe in no purgatory, but even in no hell, so that they may sin with so much more impunity. The next question is, what or how much and for how long must we suffer in purgatory? Concerning this, the church has made no decision. Though much has been written by the fathers of the church on the subject, concerning the severity of the punishment in purgatory, St. Augustine writes, This fire is more painful than any that man can suffer in this life. This should urge us to continual sanctification and atonement so that we may escape the fearful judgment of God. Next question, how can we aid the suffering souls in purgatory? Of this, St. Augustine writes, It is not to be doubted that we can aid the souls of the departed by the prayers of the church, by the holy sacrifice of the mass, and by the alms which we offer for them. The church has always taught that prayers for the faithful departed are useful and good, and she has always offered masses for them. What then should urge us to aid the suffering souls in purgatory? And the answer is, first, the consideration of the belief of the church in the communion of the saints, by which all the members of the church upon earth, in heaven and in purgatory, are joined together by the bonds of love, like the members of one body. And as the, health, and as the healthy members of a body sympathize with the suffering members, seeking to aid them, so should we assist our suffering brothers, our suffering brothers in purgatory. On my way, looking into the Catholic Church, I uh, looked at the words, or at least they finally struck me, of Charles Wesley's song, The Church is One Foundation. It's it's, it's possessive, the church apostrophe S. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, The third stanza of that song says, But we on earth have union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Mystic, sweet communion. Those on earth have mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. There is communion with the saints between earth and heaven and between earth and purgatory. We can pray for those souls and they can pray for us. The remembrance, number two, the remembrance that it is God's will, that we should practice charity toward one another, 
and that fearful judgments are threatened those who show no charity to a brother in need, together with the recollection of God's love, which desires that all men should be happy in heaven. Point three of the question, what should urge us to aid the suffering souls in purgatory? We should be urged to it by love for ourselves. For if we should be condemned to the pains of purification, we would assuredly desire our living brothers to pray for us and perform good works for our sake. While the souls who though who through our prayers have perhaps found redemption will not fail to reward our aid by interceding for us. Every time we pass a cemetery, beloved, we make the sign of the cross and we pray for those souls in the cemetery because they're either in hell, in purgatory, or in heaven. And if they're in heaven, they don't need our prayers. If they're in hell, our prayers will do them no good. The only prayers that will help them at all are the prayers of the, uh, those in a state of grace for those in purgatory. <clears throat> Can we aid the souls in purgatory by gaining indulgences? Yes, of course we can. Um, indulgences are a complete or partial remittance of the temporal, again, temporal, not the eternal punishment, separation from God for all eternity. Christ paid for that on the cross, and not one of us could add to that. But as for indulgences... Um, It's, it's explained in the instruction for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. They are a complete or a partial remittance of the temporal punishment due to sin. So if I owe somebody $100 and I don't have it, um, if they can gain 50% 50, 50 of that, then I only owe 50. It's a uh, complete or partial remittance of the temporal punishment due to sin bestowed by the church to penitent, sorrowful, remorseful, penitent sinners from the treasury of the merits of Christ and his saints. If we gain such a remittance, we can apply it to the souls in purgatory. But it is to be remembered that such an indulgence can be transferred only to one soul. Beloved, this treasury of merits is almost lost on the whole Catholic faithful today. We hardly know about it. Um, you know, um, I'm thinking of this, the film Song of Bernadette where the grottery, the grotto had been closed and those who tried to get in it or got in it after the emperor had ordered them not to get were arrested and brought to the court for, uh, if, uh, they had to pay a fine and if they couldn't pay it, they were taken off to prison. Well, they were all poor people. They couldn't pay a fine and finally the empress the secretary to the empress came and because she had also gotten some water for a little boy that was dying and uh, he he said i'm sorry but i have to ask you for this she said oh monsieur don't worry i have the fine and here's more for all of these people who can't pay it that's the idea of the treasury of merits our blessed mother our lord most of the saints have gathered more merits for heaven than they needed and so they're gathered, they're not thrown out, they're gathered in a huge treasury of merits that is given out to the souls in purgatory through our prayers. 
it, it's, it seems like a fairy tale. And it, it Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices. And we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith. So I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising, and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. At the Station of the Cross, we understand that life circumstances can affect your giving options, whether by moving or by switching banks and credit card numbers. Please let us know if recent changes have been made to your payment information so that we can better serve you as you continue to bless us with your financial support. Update your information today at thestationofthecross.com or by calling 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she. I am live. We're connected by video. I'm so grateful. Uh, thank all of you. I know some of you prayed for that, and I'm very, very grateful. So this is our half hour together. It's the Feast of All Souls, and I was just reading from and, and talking through an article from Catholic of Faith, uh, Catholic Harbor of Faith and Morals.com. You can continue reading on that site if you wish the full article, or go to that site for any questions you have. It's just beautiful. Um, our toll-free number uh, for you to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com. We have an email from Jessica who writes, "Hi, Mother Miriam. <clears throat> I was hoping you might be able to share some ideas as to how Catholics can appropriately celebrate Halloween in a way that is acceptable to God." while still making it a fun and memorial experience for our children. Thanks. Absolutely, Jessica. But Halloween is past now. I'm so sorry um, that I couldn't get this in time. Um, but for the future, Halloween is, is just a short, uh, contracted word for all hollows Eve. Hollows is holy. All hollows 
Eve, meaning all saints' Eve, all those who are, it's the, it's the feast of all the saints. It's a Catholic holiday, but as with others, the world gets in to degrade it and destroy it. And so, but it's a Catholic holiday. And so it's All Hallows' Eve, all, the Feast of All Saints. And the best way that I've seen it celebrated is for Catholics to get together in the parking lot of their church or maybe somebody's home that will take maybe a few cars or families. And what I've seen done is all the cars are back in. And so, no, no, they don't. They, they head in. So the, the trunks in a kind of in a circle. And so the trunks of their uh, cars are filled with Halloween candy or booklets or good Catholic items. And the children dress up as saints. And um, they prepare for this. They don't buy Halloween costumes, anything like that. Nothing scary. Holy. It's all Hallows Eve. And so your children choose a saint. They should read up on that saint. They should have a part in making their own costume. And on, on All Saints Eve, um, you can gather and go from car to car. And each child could tell the parents or that family who they are. Um, and a, a few couple of sentences about that saint. And then they could, um, the car, they could receive some candy from the car or, or bring candy to, to others as well. So it's a wonderful way for children to um, um, own their heritage and know the true meaning of, of, the, of the holiday, which is a holy day. It's a holy day of obligation. Um, Jim, um, let me just see. Um, Jim writes an email. I think I read this before. But um, let, me, let me go through it again. I don't believe we, we responded to it, Jim. Jim says, I know a great Eastern Rite Catholic priest who is very faithful and traditionally minded. I've met regular Catholic priests that don't take their vocation nearly as seriously as he does. Well, that's a very sad thing, Jim, I agree. However, he is married and has many children. And again, Eastern Rite priests uh, were allowed to marry. How did the Eastern Rite Catholic churches determine that their priests would be allowed to marry. Was there a specific reason why they decided to do things differently in this area? And does the regular Catholic Church, regular meaning the Latin, uh, look down upon this practice in any way since priests are strictly forbidden to marry? Um, I don't think that the Eastern Rite came up with the thing that their priests would be allowed to marry. It's that the Latin Rite came up with the discipline that they should not marry after the fact because they found that marriage, you know, when you're, you're a married priest, um, your vocation is your family. You have a wife, you have children to raise for the kingdom, and you cannot give, and your wife is supposed to be the church if you're a priest. She is your bride, the church, and it's very, you're split in many, many ways. Um, I mentioned once that I knew an Anglican priest who uh, the whole family, four children, entered the Catholic Church, and he did become a Catholic priest in time. And his wife said to me, being married to a priest is being a single mom. Because he takes his vocation as a priest seriously. He's on call all the time, and you can't be a true husband and father. So I think it was the Latin Church that said, 
like St. Paul, uh, you can't be divided. You either belong to the Lord or you're married and have the cares of the world to take care of. I, as far as I understand, uh, that's the issue. And it's not a matter of doctrine in the Latin Catholic Church. It's a matter of discipline. Uh, it could change. The church could decide that their priests could be married again. They could decide that. It would not destroy the faith because it's a discipline on how priests should live. And, of course, the discussion has come up many times, including the Amazon Synod and beyond. Um, but the church discerns each time, no, um, a priest has to be free to give his entire life to the church, to the bride of Christ, and be another Christus, another Christ in the church. Um, so does the Catholic Church look down upon this practice? Um, again, the priests are forbidden to marry, but again, it's a discipline, it's not a doctrine. Um, and it's, it's not that the church looks down upon this practice. Um, marriage is a beautiful vocation, but it does not advise that a man have two wives, one his natural wife with children, and the second the bride, which is the church, the bride of Christ. Okay, now, um, hold on. Hold on just a minute. Okay. Um, we have an email from Martin, and Martin says, Hello, Mother. What are some good ways to live out the liturgical year in our everyday lives beside going to daily Mass, or at least some of the big feasts that are not holy days of obligation? Do you have any favorite customs that help keep the liturgical year and church calendar in our hearts and mind? 100% Martin. In fact, I think yours was the last email I read uh, a few days ago when we were live last and said I would, I would answer it when we come back. Um, the best thing that I know you can do is to begin to read the Divine Office um, because it is the liturgical year and totally in sync with the Mass. If you go to the Novus Ordo, the new Mass, the Mass of Vatican II, then the, the volumes would be the four-volume set of the liturgical year, the four-volume set uh, of the liturgical year. It's expensive initially, but it's four volumes, one for each of the seasons, and has everything in them, and you'll know every feast day, you'll get the scripture readings, you'll get the readings of the saints, and you'll be able to truly walk with Christ through the entire liturgical year and connect it to the Mass, and uh, even if you miss Mass for a weekday, uh, you have the full meaning of the time through those volumes. If you go to the traditional Latin Mass, then you would pray the Divine Office, um, which is just more traditional. Uh, the Roman Office, you could get um, a Missal online from any traditional Catholic site. Um, the Roman Missal, uh, and that'll keep you as well. There's a wonderful missal that I have by Father Lassance. It's from 1948, I think, or 45. Um, it's very, very beautiful and has tons of instructions and prayers and all of that. Um, if you're not used, uh, well, that's for Mass. That's for Mass. But um, the, um, uh, the breviary is what you want for the Divine Office. And if you go online and just type in Divine Office for the traditional rite, for the year, 
um, you will find it, and you'll be able to pray every single day. Also, you could go online, uh, Divinum Officium. I forget uh, if you. Uh, I forget the full words, but it is, it is the Roman or monastic office from nineteen from fifteen seventy or nineteen sixty. In all different years, you can choose your choice, and you can bring it down online every day. Okay. Um, an email from Gerard says, Dear Mother, what is the best way to prepare ourselves for Advent? That's a beautiful question, Gerard. In fact, just last night, we finished our Advent Christmas newsletter. It's a huge one. They're normally 8 to 12 pages. Last year was 28. This year is going to be 32. It's really instruction. And it's Advent through Christmas. Um, how to celebrate Advent, how to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. And the best way, again, Gerard, is to read the Divine Office, to prepare, read the Office every single day, the Scriptures, the Psalms, the readings, every single day, and walk with Christ through the liturgical year is the best way to prepare. And during Advent, I suggest, it's in the newsletter, you don't decorate, your home. I know you can put Christmas lights up now if you want, but don't turn them on until Christmas Eve. Don't turn them on during Advent. Let Advent be 40 days of preparation for the coming of God. And in the Old Testament, the people needed to refrain from marital relations. They needed to bathe. They needed to uh, come apart. Um, they needed to fast for the preparation of God coming down on Mount Sinai. They wouldn't hear him. They, wouldn't, they would hear him thunder, but they couldn't touch the mountain or they would die because it's God. We need to have some of that godly fear in our hearts, a fear of a child who loves, not a fear of a slave who's afraid, but of a child who loves. And th there's a holy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I would say the best way to prepare yourself for Advent is to get a good Advent book uh, to read, uh, a Catholic Advent book. Uh, you can print them online. You can go to any Catholic bookstore and have the readings. Get a little Advent, an Advent wreath, not decorated for Christmas, but plain, uh, purple, and have the candles that you light each night at dinner as you pray the prayers for that day with your family or by yourself and do the, do the readings every day. And try to not make Advent as a time for Christmas shopping and parties and all that. Try to really wait for the king to come. Wait for the babe in the manger to come. Um, have it as a time of silence in your home, as a time of great reverence. Um, again, of reading scriptures, of prayers, of some fasting, uh, giving up desserts, maybe, um, not putting Christmas uh, under the tree. Uh, you shouldn't even have a tree till Christmas Eve. But if you do, again, don't put lights on. I've said this before. Wouldn't it be miraculous if all the trees were in place, all the lights were in place, all the lights on homes and parks and mangers and all over. But Christmas Eve, someone would flip the switch and everything would go on at once and the baby would be put in the manger only on Christmas Eve. And the world would say, what just happened? What happened? 
and we would say the light of the world has come. That's the way it should be. But for most people who don't know, Christmas is the end of it, and they're depressed the next day. For Catholics, for true Christians, it begins Christmas Eve, and it ends at the presentation of the Lord in the temple on February 2nd with Candle Mass. It's very, very beautiful. Christmas goes all through from December 24th through January to the beginning of February, and it's very beautiful. So, Gerard, I hope that's given you some ideas. We'll be right back after the break, beloved, and we'll take your calls and your questions or your comments. Um, Toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Join the Station of the Cross every Saturday morning at 9 after the 8 a.m. Holy Mass and Sunday afternoons at 2 for a teaching episode on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You'll learn the essential and fundamental content of our Catholic faith and morals in a complete and concise way with clarity and charity. That's Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday afternoons at 2 here on the Station of the Cross, Catholic Media Network, and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. At your church, there's probably some great music, enthusiastic clapping, and maybe even a shout or an amen. But where's the church-wide act of contrition and the confessing of sins? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible and the church. Psalm 47 does declare, shout unto God. It does say, clap your hands, all you people. But there's one more highly valuable physical expression. Strike the chest. What's that? Three times your fist strikes your chest for external admission that my sins were my fault. Secondly, order of the Mass. Within the first 60 seconds of a Mass, the congregation says together, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Each of those are followed by my firm strike upon my chest. And my take out of Luke 18 says, but the corrupt tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow. Proper order is confession before praise, sorrow before joy. And this makes sense. Why? Because remember what mom said, dinner first, then dessert. So don't forget to strike. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our final segment, and I'm thrilled to be with you. We have a long email from Clayton, and if there are children listening, um, young children, not teenagers, but you might uh, want to not have them uh, listen in to this last segment. Um, It's a long email and um, has some um, objectionable issues in it, 
Um, but I'm going to read it through because it's from a young man who um, God has uh, rescued. And his problems are not his problems alone. Many of our young people struggle with the same. He says, hello, Mother Miriam. This is, um, his name is Clayton. Hello, Mother Miriam. This year I am a born-again Christian. Now, that doesn't tell me, dear Clayton, if you're Protestant or Catholic. Uh, there's no such thing as a Catholic who's been baptized. If you're not baptized, you're not Catholic. But there's no such thing as a baptized soul who's not born again. So I don't know exactly where you're at, but um, I bless God. He says, I wanted to thank you for helping me to get closer to truly giving my life to Christ. I have so much I want to say right now in the email, but let me try to stay as organized and as short as possible. Beloved, I'm going to try to read this right through and um, maybe skip or change a couple of things that would be not appropriate for the air, but see if I can get through it before the end of the program. Clayton says, I can say without shame and confidence that Jesus has truly rescued me from homosexuality, self-harm, where I would cut myself and lock myself in my bathroom in high school. Clayton, I wish you knew how many young people suffer exactly that way. He says, anger issues, being interested in satanic art and pornography, dependent addiction through repentance in his name. What truly made me saved was losing every one of my friends, and I mean everyone, For in partaking in those sins for so long, I became selfish and isolated myself from everyone I once knew. It consumed me and poisoned my mind. He had to have me totally stripped and truly rejected and isolated. God had to have me totally stripped and truly rejected and isolated from everyone when I was still battling these issues to finally come into my right mind to realize the damage I was doing to my friendships, my community, and ultimately myself and my own soul by giving me the revelation of it this year. He says, I will give you a short history. This summer, I went through a spiritual transformation from being rejected from the Royal Academy of Arts this year in London. Yes, in my reprobate mind, still this year, I identified with the work of Marina Abramovic, the performance artist known for her shocking and blasphemous artwork. You can research her artwork later. Well, I'm not going to do that. Um, I auditioned to be a performance artist this year for her exhibition. He says, I once identified with her because she's known to cut herself and yelling at her artwork. In other words, she had self-harm and anger issues too and um, uh, doing unspeakable things in front of a live public gallery. I was truly a reprobate in the eyes of God and truly thought I resonated so much that my own pride and Satan convinced me I could attach my soul to this and identify with it that my own demons would make a mockery of me naked in a public art gallery attaching my very soul to these sins in public that I thought I once identified with. It does not get more satanic than that. Well, he says, after auditioning for the role as a young performance artist, I was soon rejected, and I'm so glad I was, because it truly left me in a state of deep personal self-reflection and misery, with no friends, rejection from the idols and artists who I thought I identified with when I was still a cutter, a chronic um, sinner, or an evil, angry person just months ago this year. It took the complete grace of God to let me be so broken and abandoned by everyone 
and my luck of being rejected that only Jesus was the last person I could turn to in saving me and bringing myself back to the pathway of health and repentance. This is truly a miracle to be writing this, and I don't want to think of what would have happened had I been accepted and continued the lifestyle of not being ashamed of my own sins. <clears throat> he performed all lewd acts for 10 years, he says, and now I vow to never do it ever again. I have had anger issues for roughly five years, lashing out at both my parents, throwing and smashing glass mason jars in my living room, and terrifying my dog, and I vow to Jesus to continue to correct my emotions before others. I have kept it a secret from others that I cut myself and want to explain to anyone who is listening, the only one who will truly take away your scars is Jesus, who was stripped of his clothing and mocked before others in public and was whipped and beaten. Mother, he says, you are one of the Christians I watch and listen to, who through your videos this year truly convinced me to change my life around. And in doing so, you are one of the people who helped bring me to God. I'm so grateful for this, Clayton. Jesus changed my life around in just a matter of months, from once identifying as a lost sinner for many years, who identified with some of the most evil and sick, twisted artwork known in the 21st century to being truly rejected from it and accepted only to Jesus. God single-handedly left me to fail at failing as a performance artist. He is the funniest comedian, God is, huh? I am so happy to be telling you and your viewers that it's never too late, no matter how serious of the matter at, at hand is. I don't want to know that my life would end up like I had been accepted this year to work with her exhibition in London, happening right now as we speak. I would truly still be going down a very dark and rapidly declining path for my mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. Marina Abramovic's exhibition artwork this year includes the same subject matter of anger issues I once identified with, the same, same self-harm mediums of cutting oneself, and inverted crosses mocking Christ, and she's been known to have artwork cutting, holding a bloody goat's head. God and Jesus gave me the opportunity to realize I had been rejected by the same artwork I thought I resonated with and realized I don't have to identify and channel that into anything anymore. I can give it up to Jesus and leave it at that by repenting and never turning to that as an escape me mechanism ever again. It's that easy. I pray, well, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's that maybe simple in a sense of explanation but it won't be easy, Clayton. He says, I pray the young performance artists I met this year in that audition room can hopefully have the same self-reflection as I had to realize you don't have to stand in a public art gallery totally naked and made a moderate mockery and a fool to others by your own demons performing out irrational behaviors and blasphemies to others to, for others to see. You can truly live a holy and sanctified life without having to exert your emotions for hours and hours in front of others as a reprobate sinner, publicly exhausting yourself in front of and naked. It's scary to think that those performance artists I once met 
are now being tormented by their own demons and made to exert them into a work of art in public as we speak. And I'm so blessed to have been saved from this in Jesus' name in such a unique way by being rejected by the very medium I thought was my very identity that my friends and family could not save me. Only Jesus and God can. Praise God. Now, Clayton has a couple more paragraphs here. The music you hear is the music for the end of our program. I'm going to finish Clayton's email tomorrow because he wants to reach out to those who are struggling just as he did with every matter of sin um, and to tell them there's hope. And um, so, beloved, we'll speak with you tomorrow, God willing. Clayton, God bless you, sweetheart. We're here for you. We will pray for you. And I hope one day I can speak with you or meet, meet you. God bless you all.